This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the state is taking a stand against the commies in China. The governor has signed a bill to keep communist cash out of Florida research. There is no single entity that exercises a more pervasive, nefarious influence across a wide range of American industries and institutions than the Communist Party of China. The governor also signed a bill creating a new law that prohibits the theft of trade secrets from Florida companies and institutions. That's the sort of thing the feds usually prosecute, but the Speaker of the House says, give Florida man a shot. We wanted the ability as the state of Florida, not just putting through this bill with penalties, which absolutely would include prison time, up to 15 years for someone who steals intellectual property from a Florida-based corporation or from a Florida-based research institution that's funded by Florida taxpayers. Road trip. Congressman and candidate for Governor Charlie Crist is spending the next four days in a statewide voting rights tour. Later this week, the second gentleman, Doug Emhoff, comes to Tallahassee to encourage more people to get vaccinated. Is it wrong to call him Mr. Kamala Harris? More than 80 years after it was founded, the League of Women Voters of Florida finally has a black president. Cecile Schoon is a civil rights attorney and former JAG officer who ended up in Panama City, the Redneck Riviera, courtesy of the U.S. Air Force. I started my legal career as a assistant staff judge advocate at Tyndall Air Force Base. I was active duty JAG at Tyndall Air Force Base, which is smack dab in North Florida and the Panhandle. So that was my first introduction to our locale. President Schoon is our guest on today's Sunrise interview. We'll also have your calendar of events and the stories of a Florida man and a Florida woman who are both in deep kimchi. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, June 8th. This is National Best Friends Day and World Oceans Day. On this date in 1959, the first official missile mail was delivered to Florida. The U.S. Navy fired a missile from a submarine to the Naval Auxiliary Air Station at Mayport near Jacksonville. The part of the missile that would normally hold a nuclear warhead was filled with 3,000 letters. That stunt was a not-so-subtle signal during the Cold War that the U.S. military was capable of pretty good accuracy in missile flights. In 1967, Israel attacked an American spy ship in the Mediterranean, killing 34 crewmen. They called it a case of mistaken identity, but many in the intelligence community believe it was a deliberate attack because the Israelis believed the USS Liberty's mission was to monitor radio signals from their troops and pass that info on to the Egyptians during what came to be known as the Six-Day War. On this date in 2017, former FBI Chief James Comey testified to U.S. Senate Committee that Donald Trump told, quote, lies, plain and simple. Unquote. And one year ago today, former astronaut Kathy Sullivan became the first woman to reach the deepest point of the ocean. It's called Challenger Deep in the Marianas Trench. Before that, she was the first American woman to walk in space. The governor signs two new laws designed to limit the influence of foreign governments in state universities and create new penalties for stealing trade secrets from Florida companies. House Bill 7017 prohibits agreements between universities and other public entities with seven different countries of concern. Russia, China, Cuba, North Korea, Iran, Syria, and Venezuela. But Governor Ron DeSantis says the primary target is the communist government of China. There is no single entity that exercises a more pervasive, nefarious influence across a wide range of American industries and institutions than the Communist Party of China. Academia in the United States is permeated with influence. This is very common to see researchers at major institutions, including in Florida and also around the country, uh, getting indicted 
for being in cahoots with the Chinese government. You look at corporate media and the entertainment industry in this country, they are in the pocket of the Communist Party of China. I mean, if the Hollywood comes up with a movie that the CCP doesn't like, that gets censored. They are not going to run afoul uh, of that orthodoxy. You look at corporate media in this country, they were on the vanguard of trying to suppress the truth about the lab leak theory. They've got deep financial ties to the Chinese government and the Chinese Communist Party, uh, and we just have to call it for what it is. Big tech also runs interference for the Communist Party of China. You know, people were trying to search for the tank man in Tiananmen Square on Bing recently, and it had no results came up. That's very curious. Microsoft said, oh, it was just an oversight, it was a mistake or whatever. Um, really, that's a pretty convenient mistake to have. But you see time and time again, uh, the big tech giants, it seems like when they put their thumb on the scale, they're almost always putting their thumb on the scale in favor of protecting the Communist Party of China. And of course, in the United States, major celebrities, athletes, and business leaders will frequently virtue signal regarding the latest crusade uh, or cause de jour that they have about things in the United States. And yet, almost every one of them falls silent when it comes to calling out the atrocities committed by the Chinese Communist Party. All we are doing today is saying enough is enough we've got to start fighting back. And so the state of Florida is doing that. If you look at the bad influence that we see, we've seen it here in Florida. Just in February, a University of Florida researcher was indicted for taking grant money from UF for his company in China. Uh, September 2020, Jacksonville woman pled guilty for trying to illegally export engines to China. Of course, you see Iran and other countries as well. Uh, but I think here, as of now, as of the, the beginning of this past year, the FBI is investigating a thousand cases of theft of U.S. technology, um, and this is almost always theft that's designed to serve the interests of the Chinese Communist Party. So we don't have to look long and far to see examples of this. I don't think they get the attention they deserve, and clearly uh, a lot of folks in Washington need to do more uh, to be able to combat it. But in Florida, we're going to take a stand. And so we are taking a stand, and these bills I'm signing into law today, foreign adversaries will not have access to our schools, government, and companies like they have in the past. Not the Communist Party of China, not Russia, not Cuba, not North Korea, not Iran, not Syria, not Venezuela. The Speaker of the Florida House, Representative Chris Sprowls, says they began working on the foreign interference bill after learning that China was helping pay for research at the University of South Florida Med School and stealing the results. Why does this matter to a family who lives in Hialeah or Clearwater or Pensacola? Here's why. Because that foreign influence isn't just used to influence political leaders. It isn't just used to influence policy like the One China policy to the detriment of Taiwan. It isn't just used to disinvite speakers at our universities like the Dalai Lama. It is used to go into our research institutions and to steal from Florida taxpayers, to steal our hardworking intellectual property, to bring it back to China so that they can use that against American researchers, that they can use that against American businesses and beat America on the world stage. And that's what today is all about. That's why it matters to those families. And this started about two years ago when the Florida House of Representatives launched an investigation stemming from Moffitt Cancer Center when four researchers were found to have undisclosed inappropriate relations with the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese government. Because of that, those relationships, we uncovered all kinds of information, but we realized something more important. 
that it wasn't just limited to Moffitt Cancer Center. It was at the University of Florida where there were university researchers who had undisclosed relationships. One of them was indicted recently by federal officials. But even when the, the employees at the University of Florida were looking into that incident to find out the depth and scope of these inappropriate relationships, their computers and their network were cyber attacked by the Chinese Communist Party. At the University of Central Florida in Orlando, there was a researcher working on autonomous submarine parts who had an undisclosed relationship. When he was confronted, he fled from his wife and his family back to China. Subsequently, his research assistant was indicted for exporting autonomous submarine parts back to China. Whether it's medical, biomedical technology, cancer research, defense materials, all of these things are vulnerable from foreign influence and espionage by the Chinese government. What we realized was whether it was genetically modified corn seeds in Iowa. The person who stole those corn seeds was used to be a professor here in, in Miami at FIU. This has impacted Florida. It's impacted our taxpayers. And if you look across the country, we're not alone. We're not the only state that has, has suffered this way. MD Anderson in Texas, cancer researchers in, in Boston, Harvard, MIT, it is pervasive and impacts universities across the country. 70% of universities who've received $250,000 or more from the propaganda arm of the Chinese Communist Party have failed to disclose that properly to the federal government and to federal authorities. We're not the only state who suffered this way, but we are the only state that is doing something about it. The signing of that bill was welcome news for Amino Chi. He's director general of the Taipei Economic and Cultural Office in Miami. He represents the government of Taiwan, which fled mainland China after it was taken over by Mao Zedong and the Communist Party in 1949. The negative influence of China is not only a threat to Florida, it's also a threat to Asia and to the world. Taiwan has been fighting against the threat of China for a long time. We are very pleased that more and more friends in the world have noticed the issue and have joined us. As you may know, China has used its economic influence to undermine the national interests of many countries. Even in the critical situation of COVID-19, China is still trying to use vaccines to influence some countries to sever diplomatic ties with Taiwan. On the contrary, the U.S. bipartisan congressional delegation visited Taiwan yesterday to discuss U.S.-Taiwan relations, regional security, and other significant issues of mutual interest. We'd like to take this opportunity to express our sincere thanks to the United States for donating 750,000 COVID-19 vaccine doses to Taiwan. Taiwan shared with the United States such common values as freedom, democracy, respect for human rights, the rule of law, and a market-based economy. Taiwan is also an important trading partner and reliable export market for the U.S. in almost every major sector. Based on the shared values and common interests, the Taiwan-U.S. relations will continue to flourish well into the future. The second bill signed by the governor is HB 1523, the Combating Corporate Espionage in Florida Act. It creates new criminal offenses in Florida for the theft and trafficking of trade secrets. Anyone who willfully and without authorization steals or attempts to steal a trade secret and use it for their own benefit will now face a third-degree felony punishable by up to five years in prison. If the same person tries to sell the stolen trade secret, they'll face a second-degree felony with even more penalties. And finally, if an individual entity violates this law on behalf of a foreign government, the penalties are significantly enhanced, adding even more time in prison. 
Corporate espionage is usually prosecuted by the feds, but Speaker Sproul says Florida still has a role to play in these cases. I spent time as a prosecutor, and the reality is, is when we talk about foreign espionage and especially corporate theft of intellectual property, much of that is, is prosecuted under the federal system, which is overloaded and overworked. We wanted the ability as the state of Florida, not just putting through this bill with penalties, which absolutely would include prison time, up to 15 years for someone who steals intellectual property from a Florida-based corporation or from a Florida-based research institution that's funded by Florida taxpayers. This allows us to step into the role as prosecutors to make sure those people are accountable. The governor also used the bill signing ceremony to accuse the Chinese government of lying to the world about the origin of coronavirus. If you look at what's gone on now with the coronavirus pandemic and the cover up of the origins of COVID-19, it's pretty clear that this was a virus uh, that almost assuredly leaked out of this lab in Wuhan. This is a lab where these uh, scientists were working very closely with the Communist Party of China, as well as the Chinese military. When you had these folks fall ill who were working in that lab last fall, uh, the Communist Party of China decided to cover it up. Uh, they didn't give any information out. Uh, they didn't ask for uh, any assistance. They didn't give a heads up to anybody. Uh, they tried to cover it up. Uh, and basically, the world uh, has had to endure uh, over a year and a half of, uh, of a lot of bad stuff as a result of this. So they covered it up and they need to be held accountable for this. Speaking of COVID, a federal judge hears arguments Thursday in Florida's bid to block restrictions on cruise ships during the pandemic. District Judge Stephen Maryday will hold a hearing in Tampa on the state's request for an injunction against restrictions imposed by the Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The hearing was scheduled after the two sides reached an impasse in mediation aimed at settling the dispute. The CDC wants passengers to be vaccinated before they sail, but Florida has a new law that makes it illegal for companies, including cruise ships, to ask customers for proof of vaccination. The husband of Vice President Kamala Harris, second gentleman Douglas Emhoff, will be in Florida later this week to talk about efforts to vaccinate more people against COVID-19. The White House says he'll be in Tallahassee Thursday, part of an effort by the Biden administration to get 70 percent of American adults vaccinated, or at least their first shot, by the 4th of July. Now, Florida is about 60 percent there, but will need to vaccinate another one and a half million adults over the next month to meet the president's goal. Congressman and Democratic gubernatorial candidate Charlie Crist is heading the road this week for a voting rights tour of Florida. He'll be attacking the governor and Florida Republicans for approving new limits on voting rights. The tour starts today and continues through Friday with stops in Tallahassee, Tampa, West Palm Beach, Broward County, Miami, Orlando and Gainesville. Voting rights are already an issue in the gubernatorial race after GOP leaders passed and Governor DeSantis signed Senate Bill 90. That's the one imposing new limits on voting by mail. Republicans call it election security. Democrats call it voter suppression. During the tour, Christ is hosting roundtables and conversations with local residents and community leaders who've been working to expand voting access. One group that's been working for years to expand voting rights in Florida is the League of Women Voters, and they made a bit of history over the weekend, selecting Bay County civil rights lawyer Cecile Schoon as the first black woman elected to lead the League in Florida. She's our guest today on the Sunrise Interview. And the first thing on my mind is how in the world a civil rights attorney ends up in Panama City, Florida's redneck Riviera. Oh, great question. Well, um, I started my legal career as a assistant staff judge advocate at Tyndall Air Force Base. I was active duty JAG at Tyndall Air Force Base, which is smack dab in North Florida and the Panhandle. So that was my first introduction to our locale. Understood. 
So talk to me about the challenges ahead for the League of Women Voters. They have been a player in Tallahassee politics, not always successfully. But when the League talks, people listen. What do they need to listen to you about now? They need to be educated about some of the limitations that have been imposed on the ability to vote with regards to the limits on Dropbox use, the limits on Dropbox hours. Um, they have been extreme and people are not aware of that. It's definitely going to impact people with disabilities. It's going to impact people who do shift work or who have many responsibilities because Dropboxes have pretty much been cut back up to a bare minimum. They're only going to be available when you could go into the office. So the whole purpose of a Dropbox is to be able to vote when other people are not around and the supervisor of elections office is closed because it's not a nine to five and you do shift work or you have responsibilities. And that has been taken away entirely. Dropboxes now will only be available at the hours of early voting when the supervisors of elections office is actually open. So people are not aware of that and they need to make uh, plans to get their uh, vote in person or vote by mail and do it early. Um, there are also some limitations and things that have been changed with regards to organizations such as the League that love to do voter registration. You now have to give warnings um, that were never required before and may be misunderstood by people when you're trying to register them to vote. Um, it's just a big change, and we're very, very concerned about it. Now, the League has already filed suit over Senate Bill 90. Uh, can you talk about some of the reasons why you believe that election law is unconstitutional? Well, the pleadings probably speak for themselves better. But one of the things that we're very concerned about is the limitation on the franchise. I mean, if all the evidence and testimony is there was no problem in Florida, why would anyone impose legislation that's going to make it more difficult for people to vote? It's going to confuse more people and place all these limitations. Why would that be done? And when it's going to cost the supervisors of elections, they are complaining. They don't have the resources, and they pretty much all testified, almost all 67 testified or indicated to the governor and to the legislators that this was these laws and provisions in Senate Bill 90 were unneeded and would be a hindrance. Of course, in these kind of cases, justice is rarely swift. Do you think this will be decided before the next election, or are we going to have to live with this law in 2022? That is that is a good question. We do have we did uh, involve all of the 67 supervisors of elections, including the governor's uh, his representative, um, um, Attorney um, Moody and uh, Secretary Lee. They were also um, named as defendants because everybody is impacted is why you name everybody. So we'll have to see what the answers are and the motion practice from all of these people. And just recently, uh, the Republican National uh, Committee got involved, and so we'll see what they file. So a lot of what happens in litigation depends on what happens on both sides. And we can't speak for anybody but the league and the plaintiffs. 
at looking beyond the election law, what are some of the other issues on the League of Women Voters agenda or your list of concerns for the upcoming, well, not the session, but the legislature in general? I mean, they're a pretty fun group. Well, one thing that we're trying to get information about and that is so we can know for ourselves and also educate the population is what is going on with redistricting. We know how important that is, and we have seen there are times when legislators, basically, we say they like to pick the voters who can vote for them instead of letting the voters pick the legislators and vote for people in a fair and free manner. So we really would like to know who's going to be doing the redistricting, which members of the legislator are going to be involved. Are they going to have public meetings? Are they going to allow the public to comment? What is the process? And we haven't heard anything specific. So we want to know as quickly as possible. We want to get that information out to the community. And we want transparency. So even though the system has not formally started, we think it's time to start talking about the processes and being transparent. Uh, during the last reapportioned session, the League was instrumental in shaping what happened because of that constitutional amendment, the Fair Districts Amendment. But there has been a dramatic shift in the state Supreme Court since then. It is now, you know, Governor DeSantis has picked most of them that are serving on the panel. Can you count on the courts to uphold the Fair District Amendment anymore, I guess is what I'm wondering. We are all hopeful and prayerful that that will be the result. Um, that our Constitution is a, the foundational document of our government, and it's something that all laws should um, adhere to, and all judges and justices should also follow the, uh, the words and the intent of our Constitution. So we are hopeful that when uh, the arguments are made and the uh, problems are pointed out, that uh, of the judges and justices listen and rule accordingly. So are you looking forward to your first legislative lobbying foray in Tallahassee? As president, yes. Um, it will be exciting. I have participated with Patty um, many times as she had her team. We would go in and there were different action chairs on different issues. As you indicated earlier, for several years, I've been the action chair on Amendment 4 Matters Restoration of Rights. So the different action chairs, we would go in with our president and we would have our assignments and talk with the legislators that were carrying legislation on the issues we were working on. So I am very familiar with the legislative process. I'm familiar with many of the uh, senators and representatives, but it will, of course, be a very different experience as a dub president. At this time, when so many of us in the nation have been faced with um, many difficult truths uh, of our history with regards to um, racial disparities and systemic racism, I think it's a, a breath of fresh air and I'm honored and I'm happy and I'm, I take comfort that League members saw fit to um, vote for me. I think it reflects a willingness for inclusion and diversity internally as the League advocates for that kind of inclusivity and equal opportunity in government and for the citizens. So I'm very, um, I'm, I'm very proud to be in this position, and I think it's a, a big step forward in terms of practice what you preach. 
That's former Air Force Major and Panama City Civil Rights Attorney Cecile Schoon, new president of the League of Women Voters of Florida. Later this week, she'll be sharing her concerns about a new rule going before the State Board of Education that would force teachers to present, shall we say, the whitewashed view of American history. State Representative James Bush of Miami is helping to host a free food distribution event at 9 this morning in Opelaka. Trustees at the University of South Florida meet at 9.30 in Tampa. Trustees at Florida Atlantic University meet at 10 in Boca Raton. Space Florida President and CEO Frank DiBella gives an update titled A Look to the Future to the National Space Club Florida Committee. That's at 11.30 in Cape Canaveral. The Visit Florida Board of Directors meets at 2 in Jensen Beach. They'll talk about their budget for the next year. Members of the Volusia County Legislative Delegation discuss the 2021 session during an event hosted by the Daytona Regional Chamber of Commerce. That's at 3.30 in Daytona Beach. And U.S. Representative Charlie Crist, who's running for governor next year, will speak to the young Volusia Democrats in an online meeting at 7. A Florida woman is charged with felony child abuse after police say she sent her ex-boyfriend a series of videos where she slapped, suffocated, and threatened to kill their five-week-old baby girl. 19-year-old Brianna Joyce of Hialeah was arrested after Dad forwarded those videos to a caseworker at the Department of Children and Families. The infant is now safe in the hospital. Joyce's other child, who is just one year old, is being cared for by a relative. And finally today, a Florida man is accused of dragging the corpse of a pedestrian that hit his car and then leaving the body behind a bait shop or most of it anyway. The Florida Highway Patrol says 28-year-old Joseph Charles Strickland hit a pedestrian in Hernando County north of Tampa and kept driving with the body on his car until he reached the Dixie Lee Bait Shop. Investigators say he hauled the body out back and then called his roommates for help, telling them he hit a deer. One of the roommates contacted law enforcement because he didn't buy it. He made the call at about the same time a human leg was discovered on the side of the road. A cadaver dog eventually located the rest of the body. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.